Now we turn to uh, the gems of Quran, insha'Allah. So we're on the third juz, and I'll probably try to do half of the third juz tonight, and then we'll turn to our topical series. We're turning back to the prophetic du'as in Quran, looking at Sayyidina Nuh alayhi salam. So in the third juz, and again I repeat, and I will keep repeating, that every verse in the Quran al-Karim is a gem, but just because of lack of time and lack of strength, we are doing a selection of verses this year in the month of Ramadan. So right in the very beginning, however, in the third juz, uh, there's a very, very important ayah, uh, which is Surah Baqarah, Surah number 2, verse 255. All of you know, it is known as Ayatul Kursi, and this is considered to be the greatest ayah in Qur'an al-Kareem. Allahu Akbar Kabira. And this is an ayah that has been recited for many purposes and many times. And it should be, in theory, after Surah Fatiha, uh, the most recited ayah of Qur'an in anybody's life. Because Sayyidina Rasulullah it was from his sunnah to recite this ayah after completing the Fard Salah. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الله لا إله إلا هو. So the first thing, first and foremost, is that Allah SWT begins with His name, Allah. And Allah SWT said elsewhere in Quran, Tabarak Asmurabbik, and full of barakah is the name of your Rabb. So one aspect of barakah is also permanence, because that which has blessing is long-lasting. That which has more blessing is more long-lasting. And that which has the most blessing is everlasting. And so Allah SWT, His being, His essence, His nature, His attributes, one aspect of Allah SWT Himself being a being of barakah and his name being a name of barakah is that Allah subhanahu in his essence and his nature and his being and his very name are everlasting are permanent there is nothing more permanent Nothing has more permanence than the wujud, the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there is no nutq, there is no utterance, there is no word, there is no name, there is no speech that has more permanence than Qur'an al-Karim. And there is no name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that has more permanence than his ismi azam, ism jalala, ismi zat, Allah. So this is actually one of the aspects of Ayatul Kursi, that it begins with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name, Allah. The second aspect, La ilaha illahu. What's the most important thing about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is His wahtaniyya, is His is the Tawheed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is the oneness, unicity, uniqueness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in what? In His Godship. That He is the one and only God. Hmm? So these are the two most powerful zikrs actually. So the two most powerful zikrs in our deen is one, the Zikr of Isma Azam Allah and second the zikr of the Kalimat Tawheed La ilaha illallah. And so both of these are uh, constitute the beginning of Ayatul Kursi. And this is something uh, that uh, uh, Imam Muslim reports in his collection of Hadith Sahih, the Sayyidina Abay ibn Naqab who is one of the greatest Quran, one of the greatest reciters of Quran Kareem and the Sahab Kareem. That Sayyidina Rasulullah asked him that you know which verse, which ayah of Qur'an from all of the ayat of Qur'an that you have learned thus far is the greatest. And he replied as was the want of Sahabah Ikram when they were asked a question they didn't know the answer. Allahu a'lamu wa rasulu. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his blessed messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam know best. And then Sayyidina Rasulullah then repeated the question. And then now, it's a very, I, mean, just, I will comment a little bit on Sadith as well. And the second time, then Sayyidina Abu Ibn Kaab, he ventured an answer. So he gave the first answer, which was the correct answer, when he was asked the question the first time. Because at, up till now, Sayyidina Rasulullah had not told Abu Ibn Kaab what was the greatest ayah. But when the Prophet asked him a second time, he realized that, okay, this is not what you find in other hadith, that after the Sahabah Kram, they give this answer that Allah and His Messenger know best, the Prophet then tells them. But here, instead, the Prophet asked him a second time, so now Obey ibn Iqab ventured forth an answer, according to his own estimation, what was the greatest ayah, and he replied then, that is, ayatul kursi. 
And then Sayyidina Rasulullah responded to him and said, May Allah Ta'ala bless you in your knowledge. Yani that, may, that you replied correctly, that you understood that. And this is one of the great aspects of the Sahaba Ikram that they had deep knowledge of Quran, deep knowledge of the Sunnah, and Allah Ta'ala indeed blessed them with knowledge such that they would sometimes in Hadith, they are the ones on their blessed tongue that Allah Ta'ala first reveals this aspect. So the very first person, strictly speaking, to state that Ayatul Kursi is the greatest ayah, it was prompted by Sayyidina Rasulullah but the first person to state that was Sayyidina Ubay ibn Kaab Allahu la ilaha illahu so Allah means that being who we worship, who we submit to, who we turn to. Every aspect of the Quranic God concept, every attribute of Allah subhanahu wa every sifat, every action of His is encaptured in this concept of Allah. Alright? In fancying as they say, there's no deity except for Him. Al-Hayyul Qayyum. And these are two master attributes of Allah subhanahu wa Al-Hayyul Qayyum. Al-Hay, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself is ever living, eternally living. The embodiment of what it means to be alive. Al-Qayyum, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is completely, uh, you can say, he's the sustainer. By which any other life form is maintained. So he is the embodiment of life himself, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and any other life form is only qa'im, it only exists because it is being sustained and maintained by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this was a dua that Sayyidina Rasulullah would make, uh, the sunnah dua that the Prophet used to make at the time of the hajjat, that he used to refer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in invoking this name Al-Qayyum. Neither slumber nor sleep overcomes him, overtakes him. Means Allah SWT does not lapse in his magnificence, in his wakefulness, in his life, in any sense. So this is what I had mentioned to you in the start, the sense of permanence. The sense of permanence, unfading existence. That is the nature of Allah SWT. So here, this Allah subhanahu wa is just saying, uh, sinat just means, you know, in Urdu they were called ung, it means just nodding off, a very slight, momentary uh, form of sleep. Uh, and obviously Allah subhanahu is free from any such need, any such act, uh, any such thing. Then Allah subhanahu wa continues on to Kursi. Lahu ma fis samawati wa ma fil ard. So after Allah subhanahu wa mentioning that He's eternally living, all is maintained and sustained by Him and He doesn't slumber or sleep, and it means that Allah subhanahu is intensely aware and focused on His creation. And to Him and Him alone belongs ma every single thing, every single thing in all of the firmaments and strata of creation. So if you go from planet Earth up to different strata, so there's the strata of the solar system, the strata of the Milky Way galaxy, the strata of the galaxy cluster, and it continues and continues into the far reaches and the ultimate borders of the physical universe. All of that is the Samawat. Then when you transcend the physical universe, there are other realms. There's Alam and Barzakh, there's the angelic realm, there's the Kursi, there's the Arsh, there's Jannah. The Jannah itself has different darajat. All of that is encompassed in Samawat. And all that is in this earth. So the earth is what me and you know because we live on planet earth. Right? And it's interesting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Quran Akram pairs these two often. Samawat, earth, Samawat, earth, Samawat, earth. Alright. All of that belongs and exists only and only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the lam here means two and four and belonging to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That who could there ever be, who could there ever be, who can intercede in the, on the day of judgment in the who, in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without His permission. 
So this is, uh, I mean, there's there's many aspects to this. Allah SWT talks about this in Surah Taha uh, and in different places of Quran as well. But there's a notion uh, that we learn uh, from the hadith of the Prophet wasallam that the Anbiya alayhim as-salam ajma'in will plead with Allah SWT on behalf of certain individuals and members of their ummah and Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So there's a long hadith that is mentioned both by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim that Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam will also intercede before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so the, the, this long hadith basically depicts the scene on the Day of Judgment. And the first act of intercession actually will be just to commence of reckoning and judgment and that people will just all of human, humankind will just be standing there and then the Anbiya will be approached Different their communities will approach them and ask them what? for Jannah? no for salvation? no for forgiveness? no they will just ask them to intercede with Allah Ta'ala this much just let the process begin Allahu Akbar Kamira the Haybat the you know, the wahsha, the heba, the awe and the fear of that day will be so much that a per- people, human beings, will just want the proceedings to start. Now then, each of the anbiya, every single nabi, this is the deeds of the Prophet every single nabi will be too scared of Allah Taala to ask Allah Taala to begin that process, and so they will not reply to this request. Uh, they will not accept the request that their ummahs present them. Until finally then the ummah of Sayyidina Rasulullah will approach him and ask him to intercede with Allah SWT simply to start the Day of Judgment. So Sayyidina Rasulullah will fall into sajda at a maqam which is right beneath the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he will praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hamd and do tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala glorify him and exalt and magnify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in words that Allah ta'ala will inspire with him at that moment and there will be words that even Sayyidina Rasulullah himself had never known before and then after doing that then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will address the Prophet sallallahu and say Ya Muhammad sallallahu Raise your head. Ask upon me, call upon me and ask whatever you want and you shall be granted that which you ask and do shifat, intercede for whom you want and your shifat will be accepted. So the ulama of tafsir, they understand this ayah of Quran al-Kareem in light, uh, in the ayat al-Kursi, in light of this hadith. Then Allah SWT mentions another aspect of him. Allah SWT knows it means every single thing that is before them and everything that is behind them, everything that is yet to come, everything that is preceded. He has complete and absolute knowledge of every single thing that every human being has ever done and will ever do. So this is the knowledge, the ilm of Allah Subhanahu Note here, however, the knowledge of Allah Subhanahu does not negate our decision and our action. The fact that Allah Subhanahu knows does not nullify or render worthless or without value our own decisions and actions. Any more than if, the, if a being of imperfect knowledge knows imperfectly that I will travel in a week, that doesn't negate my decision to do so and my ultimately my act my own action and agency in doing so so if that's true for imperfect beings with imperfect knowledge then obviously for the perfect being with the perfect knowledge Allah Taala, his knowledge is his own and me and you are not privy to it so the contradiction and paradox which they talk about free will and predetermination or free will and destiny would only exist if we had the knowing and the doing both, that would be a paradox. Or if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had the knowing and the doing both, that would be a paradox. But Allah ta'ala knows and Allah ta'ala has left it up to act and do the action. Alright? Khair. وَلَا يُهِيتُونَ بِشَيْءٍ مِّنْ إِلْمِهِ إِلَّا بِمَا شَاءَ Now they, 
these human beings about whom Allah Ta'ala knows everything that is going is yet to come and that which has preceded them, they themselves encompass nothing of the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except that which He wills. So we also learn here there's a negation of this notion that we know anything truly and anything that we truly know in terms of true knowledge, haq, is just that knowledge which is granted to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That knowledge which is granted to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the first aspect of Ayatul Kursi is basically meant I will do it a second time, let me finish actually the translation. Uh So the words Arsh and Kursi are both used in Quran al Karim. Are both used in Quran al Karim. Some of the ulama they felt that Arsh refers to uh, how can I explain the entire canopy? It's a symbolic representation of Allah Ta'ala's knowledge and power encompassing the entire physical realm of the universe. So, like literally the sky is a canopy, or the atmosphere, if you want to be more scientific, is a canopy over the planet Earth. Just like that... Emblematic or symbolic of Allah Subhanahu's absolute power and knowledge, encompassing and surrounding every single realm of existence that is known as the Arsh. All right. So you know that Allah Subhanahu is not Allah does not have spatiality. La makana lahu wa la zamana lahu. He's the transcendent and transcendental being. He transcends space and time because space and time are creations of Him. And so he is beyond his creation. He is beyond the space and time that he created. La jihadullah, he is beyond the direction. Alright? So this is a sense of a symbolic. Now the kursi uh, has been understood, and, and there's a lot, I mean, you know, if, if we were to, you know, I have to go very fast, this is just a, you know, a selected. But anyway, so the kursi is... So I'm giving you one of the many, many tafsir of this. The kursi is held to be the focal point, if you will, uh, of the arsh. And that focal point is because, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has his own... So let me, let me explain this to you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, while being completely, entirely, eternally, perpetually, always aware and focused and directed on his creation, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's more to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than just me and you, than his creation. Right? There are more aspects to Allah Ta'ala's being. Allah knows best. We don't even know anything about those aspects of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala's being. Right? So, the totality of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala's being and attributes forms a complete all-encompassing, uh, surrounds all of the realms of created existence. That's the Arsh. Kursi is, denotes that focal point through which out of the infinite attributes and infinite knowledge and infinite aspects of Allah Ta'ala's existence and infinite acts of His, that particular act of His in which He focuses Himself on creation or turns His attention towards creation is referred to as the Kursi. Okay? So that's one interpretation. Other ulama of tafsir, so i just give you a second one because I can do that very quickly. Other ulama say that Arsh and Kursi are just simply synonymous to one another and they don't try to come up with a difference between the two. So in that sense, uh, when you take the Arsh and Kursi as synonymous to one another, wasiya Kursi samawati wal ard. Alright? That his, you know, uh, I prefer actually not to translate this in English because when you use throne and chair and these words are completely inappropriate uh, to use for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So his kursi uh, expands uh, and encompasses every single uh, firmament and strata of creation as well as planet earth. Okay, now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also doing hifth Allah subhanahu wa is preserving maintaining and preserving all of that creation and that doesn't tire him at all does not exhaust him at all and he Allah subhanahu wa Allah subhanahu wa al-ali he is the most exalted al-adheem the most tremendous the most magnificent alright so 
In some sense, all of Ayatul Kursi is actually explaining the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in the very beginning is his what they call Tawheed al-Zati. In his essence, he is one. And then all of the rest is about his oneness and uniqueness in his perfection. His oneness and uniqueness in his power. His oneness and uniqueness in his never, mm, you know, never, no slumber and no sleep. So all of it is about all of these things, Allah SWT is alone and unique in all of the attributes, sifat and characteristics that are mentioned in Ayatul Kursi. And our own knowledge is completely non-existent, right? وَلَا يُحِيتُونَ بِشَيْءٍ مِّنْ إِلْمِهِ إِلَّا بِمَا شَاءَ Except that which Allah SWT has bestowed upon us. And the greatest ilm obviously Allah SWT has bestowed upon us is Qur'an al-Kareem, Kalamullah itself. Here, that's as much as we can, that's already probably more than we should have done, in fact. 256 لَا إِكْرَاهَ فِي الدِّينَ That there is no compulsion in religion. Very famous ayah of Qur'an al-Kareem. And it does mean what it says at its face value. In addition to many deeper layers of meaning. That you cannot force someone to accept iman. But interesting here, it, people always take it at a human level. Most people. That it means that a believer cannot force a non-believer to believe. Actually, first and foremost, Allah SWT is saying this about Himself. That He does not force people to believe in Him. So elsewhere Allah SWT says, That whomsoever wants, let them have iman. And whomsoever wants, let them disbelieve. So Allah SWT Himself has not forced humanity to believe in Him. Let alone that worldly ruling that we should not force others to have belief. Alright? Why? Because the way Allah subhanahu has made absolutely clear and manifest and distinct the path of righteous guidance from that which is wrong and abomination. So once Allah subhanahu has done that, He has created the opportunity of complete free choice and understanding whether to adopt Iman or not. Whether to adopt, rather I should say, deen or not. So there's no need for any level of compulsion. Alright? Then if I just go a little bit further in the same ayah, so Allah SWT says that the person who believes in Allah SWT, this is a very famous a metaphor of Allah that such a person has firmly grasped the you know, established you know, you can say handhold the established connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Lanfisam al Hawaj will never break Allah Sameen Alim and need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's all hearing, all knowing. So what is this? It's Deen. Deen is the ultimate thing to grasp. That's why we should also want to give ourselves to deen, strive on deen, connect ourselves in deen, and there's no concept of being lukewarm in deen. No, deen is the passion. Deen is the asal. Deen is the driving force of our life. And the more a person holds fast to deen, the more they will become strong spiritually in this world. Allah subhanahu wa then begins verse 257. So this is a very famous verse of Quran al-Kareem that Allah subhanahu is the wali. Of those who believe. Allah Ta'ala is the guardian, protector, friend, caretaker of those who believe. And many, you would have noticed, Alhamdulillah, because all of you are, mashallah, reciting Quran in Ramadan, that in most places in Quran, you will find, Alladheena amanu wa amal salihat. Alladheena amanu wa amal salihat. Those who have iman and do, who do deeds. Those who have iman and who do good deeds. But here, when Allah SWT wanted to mention His wilaya, to whom he, to whom upon whom he bestows his friendship, here Allah didn't give that second condition of amil salihat that they have to do righteous deeds. Just Alladina amnu. Allah Taala could have said Allahu waliyu Alladina amnu wa amil salihat, but Allah Taala just said Allahu waliyu Alladina amnu. Just by virtue of having iman. Allah SWT becomes their loving, protecting, nurturing, caretaking friend. And this is why we should value our Iman. Because it's through our just our Iman that Allah Ta'ala becomes our Wali. And you know when they talk about a human being, that a human becomes a Waliullah. So what does that mean? Who is a Waliullah? I mean the true ones, right? And Allah knows best who they are. But any person who is a Waliullah, that means they're the deep, intimate, near friend of Allah SWT. Hmm? But for Allah Ta'ala being our wali, that's even greater. 
And that's just because of our Iman. So this is actually a verse that we should recite and think about. As long as you have your Iman intact, you have Allah SWT as your Wali. So you should rejoice at having Iman. Here, I should go much faster. Okay, so end of verse 258. End of verse 258. Uh, there's, so there's a long story here. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the story. I just wanted to mention one thing that happens in the story. kafar. So what happens here is this is uh, Nabi uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam. Okay, talking with Nimrud, who was the false ruler of the, the ruler of that time, but who was not believing in Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. I just wanted to gently talk about this: that Nabi Ibrahim Salam used a rational argument, and that rational argument left that Alladhi kafar, the person who disbelieved in Allah, left them dumbfounded. Fabohat means left them speechless, dumbfounded, awestruck. And this ayah is an example then that rational philosophical argument can be used to explain and defend religion. Not in a primary sense. The believers will understand themselves religion on the basis of scripture, Quran, Wahi, Revelation, the Sunnah of the Prophet But sometimes to explain religion to those who are distant from it or have yet to understand it, you can use rational and philosophical argument as Nabi Ibrahim himself did as evidence in Quran Kareem. If you go to verse 260 now, uh, go forward. Uh, so Nabi Ibrahim he turned to Allah and said, Oh my Rabb, I want you to show me how you will revive the dead. That don't you believe? Ibrahim replied, Bala, indeed, yes, I definitely do believe. But I just want my heart to get even more contentment. So, you know, the ulama have talked to, and tafsir have talked about this a lot that there's a notion of iman and there's a notion of itminan. Now we also have to do that journey. We won't be able to do that journey the way Ibrahim did. That we ask Allah to show us a miracle. But it means that even after you have 100% Iman, Balad, definitely you have Iman. But you should still go deep into Deen, learn more about Deen, get more knowledge of Deen. Then do more Ibadah so you can feel the Qurb of Allah and His nearness in the presence of your heart. So you get more and more and more, more Itminan. You get more, you, you, you will get more serenity and tranquility in your heart the deeper you go on deen. Alright? So this is also Sunnah of Nabi Ibrahim Islam. Go ahead to verse 262 uh, and I'll just summarize this in verse 262, 263 and 264 uh, rather than reciting and translating it it's, it's a very important passage about charity. And Allah SWT basically says that when you give charity you should not uh, you know, spoil that charity by following up that charity with reminders to that person of your generosity. Number one. Number two, you shouldn't take advantage of them in any way such that maybe harms them or causes them any type of hurt due to the charity that you extended to them. So then Allah SWT then 263 says that that a kind and noble word or a forgiveness is better than that charity yet boha adan that charity that you follow it by hurting someone harming someone by uh, you know uh, reminding them of the grace that you did upon them or in any other such way. So this is a very important teaching. That means that we should be selfless. Why? Because it wasn't our achievement or accomplishment that we give charity. It was Allah Ta'ala's mercy and grace upon us that He inspired our heart to part with some wealth for to help some member of His creation. And as soon as we give it, we should forget that we've given it and we should not in any way utilize the, our position as a donor uh, and you know, on someone. Alright? Okay. Verse number 268. I thought this was important because it mentions, it's a very nice contrast in this eye between shaitan and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shaitan promises you, but rather, you, I mean, it's literally it really means threaten. Shaitan threatens you with poverty and he orders you 
to do fahsha. So what does it mean? Shaitan makes you always worry that if I don't work for dunya, I don't work for dunya, I don't work for dunya, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Right? And he, at the same time, he commands you to do immodest acts, to betray your hayat, to betray your chastity. Wallahu, while Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ya'idukum maghfira. And he holds forth for you the promise of what? His forgiveness. Maghfiratam minhu. A forgiveness from him. Wa fadla. And a bounty. Hmm? A bounty and blessing. Wallahu wasiyun alim. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the being whose knowledge is all encompassing. Alright? Who's all encompassing in his power and ability and reach and alimun and is all knowing. Yutil hikmata man yasha. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestows hikmah, wisdom on whomsoever he wants. And to whomsoever Allah ta'ala bestows hikmah, indeed they've been granted a tremendous, an abundant khair, a tremendous blessing, a tremendous good. But people don't take heed and they don't remember these things except for the people of Lub, the people who have deep and profound understanding. Alright? So, all of deen uh, is also encompassed by this word hikmah. So hikmah is the wisdom and it means the wisdom of being able to understand the deen, the wisdom of being able to pr- recall that understanding and be guided by it and practice deen at the moment and in manner in which deen should be practiced. In verse 271 and 272, uh, 271 al talks about how you should uh, you may disclose your charity. Uh, there's some khair in that. Maybe you may inspire others to give. But it's even better if you keep your charity secret. 272, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling Sayyidina Rasulullah, his sallallahu by extension, the rest of the ummah, laysa alayka hudahum, that it is not upon you that you will necessarily be able to guide them. However, it's Allah subhanahu who will guide whomsoever he wills. Your job is what? Al-Balagh. Your job is to just to deliver the message, to make sure it reaches them. Ultimately, whether they heed it, accept it, believe in it, and choose to be guided, that will be determined by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then just one uh, part here in 272 in the middle, which can summarize the teaching about charity. And you should not spend in charity except for one reason, and that is you're seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You should not give charity for any other reason. To become known as a charitable person, to exert influence, to have some power, to be given a seat on the board because you're a donor. No, you should only give for one reason to seek the expression of the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let me also explain waj. Sometimes people translate as face. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again is a being who transcends any physicality, corporeality. Waj means the expression of the Rada, the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you were seeking that Allah ta'ala should be so happy with you that He expresses that pleasure in some way. Continue now, Surah Bakr, Surah 2, verse 275 onwards, is this famous passage on the prohibition of interest. And this is a very important passage in Quran al Karim. الَّذِينَ يَأْكُلُونَ الرِّبَا لَا يَكُمُونَ إِلَّا كَمَا يَكُومُ الَّذِي يَتَخَبَّتُهُ الشَّيْطَانُ مِنَ الْمَسْ Those who, literally it means who eat, who devour, who consume riba, interest. They will not stand on the Day of Judgment except like a person who is driven mad and crazy by the touch of shaitan. So the first thing we realize here is that riba, interest, is a satanic act. And a person who... Engages in interest, especially after Allah Subhanahu has prohibited so clearly in Quran, is a person who's driven mad by shaitan. Right? And that's because they say, oh, you know, this is, what's the difference? Profit, interest is the same thing. Trade and commerce and lending and banking, it's all the same thing. So Allah makes it clear, no, rather, all the while, Allah subhanahu has permitted trade, commerce, on a profit, and Allah subhanahu has absolutely prohibited extending loans through the interest means of finance. 
So here Allah SWT will say that once Allah Ta'ala has sent this teaching down, if you repent and make tawbah, then Allah Ta'ala will forgive you and you will be entitled to your principle. But then Allah Ta'ala makes a very important rule here in 276. Allah Ta'ala will destroy, He will erase any gains you get through riba, or and he will increase the charity you give. So here Allah SWT is saying something that is counter-rationality. Because people engage in interest because outwardly apparently their wealth increases. And they shy away from charity because outwardly apparently their wealth decreases. And Allah SWT is saying exactly the opposite. So he will devour, he will erase any gains you got apparently through riba may not may not erase it quantitatively, but he will erase it qualitatively. Or a person who gets financial gain through interest, but later they may be afflicted by some illness and those medical expenses will exceed the interest income that they earned. Or they will, can face so many other setbacks in life or so many things can happen in their life due to which they will have to make additional expenditure. So it's to be taken literally, that literally you will never be able to reap the gains of that interest in this world and let alone what you will have to answer for it on the Day of Judgment. All right. And literally Allah increases the charity because Allah puts so much barakah in the month and the wealth that remains after a person gives charity. And as you know, Allah will return it back to them tenfold. All right. Here. Uh, one thing I just want to mention here in 278, that you who believe you must fear Allah Spalta and leave every last drop that remains of riba in kuntum mu'minin if you are believers. This is the ultimate ayah about riba. So it's not just this ayah makes it clear because some modernists have misinterpreted this that taking interest is wrong. But giving interest is okay. No. Allah SWT is saying, Ma baqiya min riba Every single aspect that remains in riba, you must leave it all together entirely in kuntum mu'mineen if indeed you are believers. So our iman is dependent. Our iman requires that we leave every aspect of riba entirely. فَإِن لَمْ And if you do not do that, then you should be informed here in Adhan, like the Adhan of Salah, hear the Adhan, hear the proclamation, the public proclamation of war, harb, on the behalf of Allah SWT and His Blessed Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is a very important ayah. Verse 282 onward, it's a very long verse by the way, 282. Uh, you will see 280, 281 short verses relatively. 282 is one of the longest verses. Here Al-Swanta is going to talk about contracts. I'll just summarize uh, that when you engage in a contract, any financial contract agreement, that number one, it should be written and there should be witnesses. Alright? It should be written and it should be witnesses. Uh, and that is something we should do. And by the way, if you make a contract and you just email two people, then being CC'd on the email is sufficient as an act of witnessing today. Alright? Later on, at the end of 283, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentions a concept. So it's specifically about the person who uh, was a witness but then conceals their testimony. But the concept Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentions is what? فَإِنَّهُ آثِمٌ قَلْبُهُ That their qalb is sinful. So it's the heart that is sinful. So when we commit, we do a wrong, it's because our heart is sinning. Verse 285. And all of you know, this ending part of Surah Baqarah is also uh, one of the most frequently recited uh, verses in Qur'an al-Kareem. So Sayyidina Rasulullah, he saw Al-Rasul, here means Sayyidina Rasulullah, he saw himself as Iman in every single thing that is revealed to him. Min Rabbihi from his Rabb. So this is also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala testifying to the Iman of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam in Qur'an al-Kareem. And that we are supposed to follow that. We are also supposed to have Iman in everything that has been revealed from our Rabb. So that's why then the words added, well, mu'minun. And those who truly are believers are just like the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and they have Iman in every single thing that has been revealed from their Rabb. 
Kullun amana. And then Allah explains this a little bit that each and every one of them believe in what? Billahi and Allah subhanahu wa malaikati and all of his angels wa kutubihi and all of the revealed scriptural texts wa rusulihi and all of the prophets and messengers that were truly sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we, so the believers will, if they were speaking, they would proclaim in the first person that we do not make any distinction in terms of our iman. And I explained this to you a few days ago. The as certain as we are that let's say Sayyidina Rasulullah is a prophet, we are as certain that Ibrahim is a prophet. We don't make any distinction in terms of the conviction of our Iman between any of Allah from between any of Allah's messengers. And then having this firm Iman, what's the next thing we do? What's the taqaza, the muqtada? What does iman require? Waqalu samitna wa ata'na. That's it. We hear and we obey. We heard this revelation. We heard the Prophet utter the sunnah. Wa ata'na and we obey. Not that we heard, we pondered, we thought about it, we discussed it, we debated it, we agreed with some of it, we understood it partially, and so we obeyed what we understood. No. Samitna, as soon as the knowledge is received, it's immediately followed by obedience. Hmm? And then we also ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Allah, grant us your forgiveness. Ghufran, forgiveness, ka your. Your forgiveness, O our Rabb. Is, you know, we're asking for that. And to you is the ultimate return. So your forgiveness on us, O our Rabb, then, only then will our return be proper to you. So we need you to forgive us so that we can return to you. And this is a famous verse and comes. this meaning comes elsewhere in the Quran as well. That Allah SWT does not make a person morally responsible. Does not task them. Does not make them mukallaf. Does not burden them. Any person. Except in a manner and to an extent in which they are capable. They have the capacity to bear that burden. And that every nafs, every person, every individual, every soul, every self will have counting for it whatever it has earned. And it will also count against it the wrong things that they committed. So those of you who study Arabic, kasab is mujarrad, then iktasabat is mazid fi because it has shiddat or increased in meaning. So when you do a good deed, that's easier for you and when you sin you really have to commit a sin right Rabbana la tu'akhidna in nasina oh our Rabb don't take us to task don't do our mu'akhda don't any punish us call us to account reckon us in nasina if we forget or akhta'na or if we err Rabbana walatad Rabbana walat tahmil alayna isran kama hamaltu alayna min kablina and oh our Rabb do not place upon us a burden like the the kind of burden that you placed upon those who were before us. So there's a notion here that every succeeding generation is weaker than the ones who came before. We don't have the strength. And obviously Al-Sumantal won't do that anyway because he's already told us. What? Our wus'a, our capacity and capability is far less, let's say for example, than the Sabiqram. But still, we still make this dua. That Allah don't put a burden upon us such like similar of the kind that you placed on those before us. Rabbana wala tuhammilna ma la nabi. And forget relative to others, even in an absolute sense, O oh, Rabb, don't put any burden and task on us that is beyond our strength and our ability to bear. Wafu anna and pardon us for our weaknesses, our sins. Wakfirlana and forgive us for our sins. Warhamna and have mercy on us and rectify our condition. Anta Maulana, you are our protector. So Mawlaz also comes from the same root of uh, Wali. Uh, you are our protector. Fanturna al And therefore help us against any community that disbelieves and disobeys in you. Alright. So this was Surah Baqarah. Just a couple of things from Surah Al-Imran. Then we will move inshallah to the du'as of Sayyidina Nuala Islam. So Surah Al-Imran verse 7. 
This is a very important verse of Quran Kareem also. That he, Allah, is the being who's revealed to you. Sayyidina Rasulullah Al-Kitab Quran Kareem. Minhu. And from amongst part of that Kitab, Quran, Ayatun Muhkamat are verses that are absolutely crystal clear and definitive and certain in their meaning and import. Hunna Ummul Kitab, and they are literally means the mother of the book. It means that they are the those verses are the foundation, the the asal, the core of the book. Wa but yet at the same time. And yet at the same time, there are other verses that are what? They're not muhkamat, they are rather mutashabihat. So mutashabihat literally means from tashabo that the meaning resembles other meanings. So what does that mean? You're not 100% certain and sure. And the multiple possible meanings are so, are vying with one another for possibility. That's one meaning. A second aspect, a second meaning of mutashabihat is that the meaning is so allegorical, is so mm, non-literal, uh, and and so you'll see that in a moment. And as far as those whom in their spiritual hearts have some corruption, some perversity, so they choose to follow what is allegorical from the Quran. They're seeking fitna and discord and strife and disagreement and trying to split between people. And they're seeking to form their own ta'wil, their own interpretations. And no one knows the true interpretation of those mutashabiyat verses except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And those who are deep and firm in their knowledge what do they say? Amanna bihi, we believe in every single aspect of Quran. Kullum min inda All of Quran is from Arab. And no one will be able to take heed from it except the people of understanding. So one meaning is that the, so there's a range of mutashabihat. The first range of mutashabihat are verses like Alif Lam Mim, right? The Hrufi Muqatta'at. Alright. Uh, and the people who have true knowledge, they will say we 100% believe it is Quran, and the same way we believe that Alhamdulillah is Quran. But only Allah Subhanahu wa knows what it really means. Then the second aspect of Mutashabihat are those verses that have possible meanings. So there the Rasulullah will say we believe that this, this verse is Quran, but only Allah knows for sure which of these possible meanings is necessarily true. Right? So immediately after this comes a dua and you have this word zaykh from before, right? So oh Allah, don't let our hearts have this corruption, rust, perversity in it due to which they would divert from you and deviate from you. So that could be a good word here, deviation. Rabbana la tazikulubana. Oh, our Rabb, don't let our hearts deviate. Ba'din hidaytana. After we have you have sent your hidayah upon us. Wahablana and bestow and grant for us milladunka rahma that mercy which comes from your own essential being. Innaka and indeed you, until Wahab, you are the being whose very attribute is to bestow and grant upon people. So Al-Wahhab is linked to the word Hab before and Latuzig is specifically mentioning the Zaygun fi kulubihim Zaygun that came in the ayah before. Alright? Next ayah which is 9. Rabbana innaka jamiun nasi And O our Rabb, indeed you will gather all of humanity liyomin la fi on a day in which there will no doubt will remain in it at all. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa so this is called iltifat, you change from the second person to the third person. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa does never, never breaks His promise. Okay, so that's our expression of saying that we know with certitude that the Day of Judgment will take place. Or right, just a couple more eyes and we're done. 14. 
Allah SWT mentions some of the temptations that a human being will have. Zuyina linnasi. So Zuyina comes from Zinat, has been made beautiful linnasi for all people. Hubbu shahawat. Love for the things that they desire. What are the things that they desire? So there's a strong word. Hubba. Hubba. Ardent passion, love, craze. For what? Ashahawat. For all the things that are objects of their desire and the specific ones that Allah subhanahu wa mentioned, number one, minan nisa'i. So the desire of women becomes beloved. Well, banina, the desire to have children, sons, progeny, and the power that having family brings. Third, means having heaps and mounds of gold and silver that you store, simply speaking money and amassing money and saving money. Fourth, So this is horses that are branded and cattle. You could say today they like their cars. And their fields, the lands that they till. So you can call it generally speaking property. So these are several, these are four or five major things mentioned. Love for the opposite gender, let's say a desire for the opposite gender. Two, a desire for family and status and strength. Third, desire for money and earning it and amassing it. Fourth is desire for major physical assets and things like horses and cattle or you can say cars. Fifth, hearth to have property. Five big things. And all of these, the big five, if you will, right? The South Africans, if any are listening, they used to have their big five in their safari, right? So these are the big five things that a person is going to be desire and they will have a love for the things that they desire. So Allah says about all of this, and, and, and it's also just generally, you know, symbolic and representative of all of the world. All of that is just provisions of this worldly life. Wallahu indahu husnul ma'ab. And Allah Ta'ala. With Allah SWT lies Husnul Ma'ab, the most beautiful, excellent, noble, virtuous abode to which humans will ultimately return. Yani Akhirah. Alright? So by mentioning these big five, Allah SWT is saying is yes, naturally, there will be Zinat, Hub, and Shahwat. These three big things. You will find it beautiful, Muzayyan. You will have Shahwat. You will have desire. There will be objects of your desire. And hub, you will have love. It's very three strong feelings. Beauty, love, and desire. For these things in the world. So what can overcome that? That's Iman. That's the Akhra concept. And a person who is not strong in Iman will not be able to overcome the attraction and desire and love. And, and viewing is beautiful. These five big things are just worldly things. So it's very important indeed to have a strong yearning for Akhra. Strong feeling for Akhra. Alright, so we will end here. Uh, this is the end of our Gems of Quran tonight. We did the first half of the third just.